Welcome into Box Office Quarterbacks. We're here with another nerd shit edition of our show. Uh, this is our third MCU movie of the year, guys. I'm joined by Gerald Tracy and Eric Onyashefile. As always, how you doing tonight, my friends? Good, 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 man. Play, it's been a while since I talked to you guys, man. How's everything going? Life is throwing curveballs every which way, my guy. But you know what isn't a curveball? Eternals. That movie was freaking great. Hey, and guess what? The critics were uh, very wrong. Surprise, surprise. Um, I'm doing great. The Broncos somehow beat the Cowboys yesterday, shocking me and uh, pretty much everybody else. But um, the most satisfying thing about the weekend, yeah, was watching Eternals. Uh, We waited a long time for it. Um, It got bad reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. It was the first... Uh, negatively reviewed MCU movie, I think, since Dor- or Thor, The Dark World. And guess what? We all liked it. Yeah, this is one of those things where, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is kind of a bad source to go on. And I know everybody goes on it and movies jump on it the second their movie is great. I mean, um, what was it? Was it Endgame? Whenever they started doing all the promos for it, whenever it came out. And Rotten Tomatoes had it like a certified fresh in like three hours. But um the same time, like we have to take it with a grain of salt. There's a bunch of people on there who aren't exactly qualified to be reviewing movies or just throwing stuff in there. They take reviews from everywhere. So to me, like you look at that and I'm always like, I don't know, man. I mean, y'all didn't like Maleficent. I liked Maleficent. I'm not going to lie. They didn't like a lot of movies that I ended up liking. So I kind of just always look at it like, eh, cool. We'll see. Yeah. Like, I've never been one to trust the critics on music tastes, on sports. Nah, and I'm definitely not trusting them on on um, watching movies. So if anybody, anybody's listening to this, man, just judge it with your own two eyes. Go in there with an open mind, and you'll be thoroughly happy, as we all are after watching Eternals. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, man. I mean, like, you look at it and... What is entertainment but art? And for one person to say this is not a good piece of art and for the whole world just to be expected to follow, I think is kind of ridiculous, right? Everybody has their own taste. And to me, this was an actually, I think, maybe a top 10 Marvel movie. It's been, what, 27 at this point? Top 10 to 13 least. Yeah. And um, we'll get more into it later. But everybody's going to have their different opinions, right? Like there are flaws of every movie. But this by far was way better than the likes of A Dark World. Yeah, well, I, you know, I can see where some of the criticism came in. The, the movie is complicated and the subject matter is um, a, a lot to get into. Like it clicked for me about halfway through this movie and then I really started to love it. Uh, it is kind of what I said on Twitter. But uh, basically the gist is uh, the Eternals have been on Earth for what, thousands of years and they've been tasked to uh, protect the human race from the deviants. And anything else, any other conflict, they are not allowed to interfere. Um, when we get into the spoiler part of this show, we'll find out the real reason that they were on Earth this entire time. But, you know, once you get through all that exposition uh, and you start kind of hitting the action of this movie, I think it really kicked up another gear. And I really enjoyed it after that. See, and then I, I almost disagree. I, I enjoyed it throughout the exposition. To me... This wasn't the kind of exposition like we got out of Dune, which I think we can all agree was just 
exposition the movie as jeff once said but um <laughs> like this was interesting to me like you got to see them fight you got to see them use their powers you got to see them interact in different ages and kind of explain um what happened while it was all being um, pieced together right in front of your eyes so to me i actually enjoyed this kind of exposition and i mean it definitely had to been done this is a whole new character group that it was just ignored for the greater part of what the past decade and a half in the mcu and they had to explain that away without being you know just a typical like oh well, iron man got it or they got it like you had to make that explanation right i mean th- this felt the least like an MCU movie out of all 24, 25, 26 films that have come before it. And I really dug that about this movie. It could, I think it could have stood alone as its own thing. Honestly, if it wasn't connected to Marvel at all, Uh, it's just that good. And the, the story around it and the lore around it and everything is that strong to support probably its own franchise, not connected to anything else in the Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, the other thing about this movie is uh, this movie is beautiful. Like Ryan talks about cinematography all his time, all the time. Um, but this does not look like your typical Marvel movie. It almost looked like, like no country for old men or something like that uh, at times. Yeah. And I, that's one of the things I definitely noticed from the first frame is just Chloe Zhao. You can see why she won an Oscar. And just like, like you said, it didn't feel like a Marvel movie. It felt like we were on we were on Olympia or we were in the the times that they were in. And I was like looking up, it said that they did a lot of their shooting on location. So that definitely helped a lot as compared to like other the other films where there was like a blue or green screen. It definitely felt like we were immersed in this world. Yeah, so, you know, we're, what, six minutes into the show, guys? I think it's time we get into spoilers. I'm not waiting the 15 minutes like we normally okay, do. Good. Absolutely. good, 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 good. Because I was going to say, yes, this movie definitely stands on its own. And I, I wanted to get to this part next, but I didn't want to do it before we hit the spoilers. But um, it stands on its own. I do agree with you. However, if you take any of the MCU stuff out, I think you lose the heart of this movie. Because the heart of this movie goes through... <clears throat> excuse me, Sama Hayek and Najak, who says, like, she explains to Richard Madden's um, Icarus at one point that, you know, after seeing everything, it was the Thanos snap that made her realize it was time to stop this circle of pain, which we'll get into in a little bit. So I think, like, the heart of this movie, because it, it goes down to the disagreement between, between Icarus and Ajax, and Ajax doesn't come up with that opinion doesn't come up with those feelings without seeing the mcu the way it has been so far where they humans continuously found a way to not need their help even when thanos took away half the universe humans still succeeded to bring that other half back so i do agree that it could stand on its own but at the same time you take that out you have to find a whole nother heart or a whole nother reason for sama hayek's character ajak to um really fall in love with the human race and i think that does change the movie yeah, you, you know, there was a lot of questions on how they were going to explain that this group of people that's been on Earth for thousands and thousands of years uh, had no interference with whatever was going on in the Infinity Saga. So <laughs> they got around it. I mean, you take it with a grain of salt, I guess. If it, That's why I kind of liked uh, Druig 
um, as one of my favorite characters the most, because he was the only one that was like, hey, I'm going to interfere. I can stop these people from doing what they're doing. And I don't want to see them kill each other anymore. So he was one of the most identifiable uh, characters in this movie. And I honestly thought he'd be the bad guy the entire time. That didn't happen. But uh, the conflict of this movie is great. Um, It's really a back and forth between the group of Eternals. There's not really a main villain in the movie, I would say. Well, that's a good that's that's a good that's a good point, because when I was writing down my points for for this this episode, I was wondering, I was like, okay, who could have been the villain? Was it uh, was it Druig? It it obviously didn't turn out to be him. Could it have been Crow? Could it have been Arishim, the judge? Um there, there, I don't know. If, I don't know if there was an actual true villain, and that sometimes might be a gift and a curse, I guess. And again, we'll get more into it when we get into the spoilers. But yeah, that uh, that, that that part was a little bit confusing. So it was just um, trying to just figure out who who is what was 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 a was a topic of was a topic of discussion and a little bit yeah. of an issue. See, I, and I, I think there, I think that's kind of what this movie was trying to do—not have a solidified villain, because you do have Bill Skarsgård, Bill Skarsgård as um Crow, the um one deviant who becomes almost human. Um, but like other than that, you look at Icarus, who really is kind of the bad guy, but not really. He pulls a Tony Stark at the end there. But then um, you also have the Celestials as a whole. It's like, are they the bad guys? I think we're gonna. I think this was more of an introduction to the big bad. Um, which I'll get into a little bit more later. Yeah, so now that we're in the spoiler range, the reason that the the Eternals are essentially on Earth is to keep guiding the human race along until we advance far enough and there's enough people on this Earth where it can, where their energy feeds off to birth a new uh, Celestial. And that, that's crazy. Um, that there is just this thing growing at the core of the earth that when it's born, it blows up our world and creates all these new ones. And that's what creates all the infighting between um, all the Eternals. And I thought that was very clever too, that you have this monster thing growing in the middle of our world that nobody knew about. Yeah, and the thing about the Celestials, I think that, that um may that they did extremely well is that they are like you you know the phrase larger than life but these beings are just so large and overpowering and it's just like they tower over one like the first shot of um Arishim the judge I was I thought that Ajax was like on I don't know. I guess I, I, it looked like she was on the, the ground or like standing on the earth, but then you saw his eyes come out and I don't know, that shot was just so beautiful. I was like, dang, this guy's huge. Like these, it just shows that we're dealing with power that we have never seen in the Marvel cinematic universe. Absolutely, man. I mean, you, we, we looked at Thanos as a huge man, right? A huge being, I guess. I mean, the guy was huger than Captain America, could hold on to his fist whenever he threw. I mean, he could 
beat like just go toe to toe with anybody in the MCU. And now you have this huge being. And it's like, how the hell do we expect it to like just believe Spider-Man and Black Panther or, you know, even the new Captain America, winners, the Winter Soldier, anybody? How are we supposed to believe any of them are going to have any kind of impact on this guy? Because this guy is terrifying, who I think Erishim and other Celestials will be kind of that big bad. Or um, And I'm blanking on his name right now. I'll bring it up in a second. But um, the world leader. He, I think... No, well, I think, I think, I think Erishim is going to kind of be that big bad that we deal with in the next few movies. But I think the end game, like the end game we're talking about in the future, like we just had end game now, I think it's going to be Galactus. Like Erishim for now, kind of like how let's, you know, the other one, the Ultron for phase one and two. But um, I think that's kind of what we're looking at here. Yeah, and and Ego was a Celestial, which is uh, Peter Quill's dad in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Mm. But we are we're heading towards some type of cosmic event in the MCU, which everyone keeps saying it's Secret Wars, which I think it is too. But uh, you've introduced a lot of interesting things in this movie. Uh, one thing I don't know if you guys caught on, you know, Fastos, um, he's kind of like the engineer of the group. Um, he constructs energy rings. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's yes. where I was going to go on my next point. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I was like, I was where go. have we seen that before? Oh, I yeah, think, yeah. I think there's your connection to Shang-Chi. There it is. I, yeah. I was in all of go, but, um, actually Eric, you go ahead and go first. Yeah, that was, that was exactly one of my points that I brought up. And I like, I, and when it comes to the characters, like I have, my list is so like long and Fastos was definitely one of my favorite uh, characters in the movie. Um, we, we, you talked about his technological advancements and how he wanted to give them an engine before they were definitely ready to deal with an engine. Um, and they said, no, <laughs> just create a plow so that they could figure it out. But yeah, the way, the way his like, his weapons looked, I was like, all right, he was the one that created the 10 rings for Shang-Chi, especially like when it, it, it's the callback to when uh, the post credit scene in Shang-Chi where they were discussing, like, where did this come from? And it almost, this is how they start tying these movies together. Um, it's, 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 it was, it was cool. It was cool. Yeah, I got a little bit of a conspiracy theory here. I believe um, Leah McHugh's sprite, because, you know, in the beginning of the movie, she gives that little boy the knife that she turns into gold and it ends up becoming going into museum. I think um, Brian Tyree Henry's and Fastos, because the stike, I mean, I agree. The second I saw Fastos power, I was like, that is Shang-Chi. Like, that is what that is. Like, though, because, like, like you said, at the end of Shang-Chi, we get the post credit scene. How long have these been here? They've been here forever. I think. That's one of Fasto's inventions, or maybe that was a gift him and Sprite put together to give to the people in that region. I mean, I don't, I don't know where it came from, but like, I, I'm going to be hard pressed to believe any other excuse the MCU gives us whenever they do tell us where those rings come from, because those powers that he was using when he fought, I mean, like, the, even when he fought, you saw the rings around his wrist, his wrist, right? Him and Donnelly, like, I just. I, I'm, I'm amazed, and I think that's what it's, I think that's exactly where we're going. Yeah, and that, that's like the biggest connection I I uh, caught, you know, caught up on uh, watching this. But you know, 15 minutes into this thing, guys, I think we got to talk about our favorite scenes. For me, uh, my favorite scenes 
are any scene with uh, Kingo in there, played by uh, Kumal Nanjiani, who I loved in Silicon Valley and The Big Sick and all these different movies. To see him as a Marvel superhero uh, was just great. Um, he's hilarious, especially, you know, he's become a Bollywood actor uh, since Hiding Out on Earth. And he just, you know, says, oh, you know, how do you keep convincing people that you're a different actor? He's like, oh, that was my grandpa. This is me. All this <laughs> stuff. Uh, he's hilarious. He's my favorite part of this movie. I fully expect a Marvel one cut of the video that his oh, secretary sir. driver had. I, I fully expect that to hit Disney Plus within a year. Um, but yes, him and also um, Lauren Ridloff as Macari. Macari, excuse me if I'm saying that wrong. But um, that might be the best speedster we've ever seen in a superhero oh, movie. Oh yeah. Um, her powers were great. I loved her chemistry with everybody. It was just, it was, it was perfect. Both of those two right there, perfect. Also, Kamel Nanjiani, his intro to this movie was specifically because he worked so fucking hard to get buff as hell and look good for this because the second you saw him with his arms spread out on the big screen he was freaking huge and that is yeah. not what i expected from him i mean like I, I read the stories right but like seeing that i was like this guy is ready to be captain america of this of this of this game of this team yeah when it comes when it comes to favorite scenes, I think my one of my favorite scenes was uh, Druig in the fort when they tried to convince Druig to to join them and go on their quest. But um, he was again the one that stood firm in his beliefs and said no, and then uh, had like mind controlled the the people that he was with, and then the deviants came. I enjoyed uh, that fight where eventually Gilgamesh dies by the hands of crow but that whole scene just showed the the inner conflict and and it showed um it answered the question of what we would have as viewers or fans of the mcu as to why they didn't get involved in anything and Druig is a lot of us there asking these questions because it's just like okay you didn't have to see half the world get blipped away you mm -hmm. didn't have to see the war in Wakanda. You didn't have to see whatever happened, what else happened in the MCU. Like none of this had to happen. If you guys just decided to say, you know what, let's help. And Dr again, Druig was all of us. And I, I just like that back and forth. Yeah. Dr Druig surprised me, man. He was, uh, he, he was probably the character I was the least excited to see, but he really ended up like resonating with me because I think, you know, watching this movies, he actually had the most humanity in him because he cared a lot about them. I mean, Cersei loved them, but uh, Druig took the extra steps to protect humans. And that's what stands out. Yeah. And Druig's reaction when he finds that everything is exactly what we would have done too. He was like, you, what do you mean? Like, you're telling me now that none of this matters. I could have been screwing around and helping them forever because they're going to just die anyway. And he did exactly what I think everybody else would have done. Honestly, another one of my favorite scenes was uh, in the third act. Like we touched on Makari being the best speedster we've seen in live action. The way she was punching Icarus, and I was just like, that shit is dope. Like, yes. oh my, that fight when she was just running and like he couldn't get, I was like, this is dope. Like, 
One hundred percent. That was that. You would never see the Flash beat up on Superman like that, and I think that's hilarious because you spend what like there's a few jokes in there about Superman and Batman and all these other jokes, um, which I'll get into later. But it's like in all reality, like Icarus would lose to Superman. Icarus has weaknesses, and he's not as fast because Superman is fast enough to stop that. It, Icarus bothered me. That is one character that, like, he was definitely a good villain, I think, because I actually came out of the movie being like, I do not like this guy. Yeah, I, yeah. I love when they turn the super the Superman type of character into a villain or just a guy you don't like because I don't like Superman. I think there's only one way to play him, and this movie did it well. Uh, that movie Brightburn did it very good, too, where they turned that kid into, like, a serial killer. Um Let's talk about the DC references in, in this movie because it's very, very weird. It creates like a weird inception kind of mm-hmm. uh, hole into this universe where, you know, not only do they, you know, Fastos' son, you know, he's like, hey, that's Superman. And Icarus says, you know what? I don't wear a cape. But you also have a reference to Alfred and Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'm guessing they got permission from DC to include that. It's just um, very jarring to hear. I'm actually surprised that they meant like, I, I I only thought that the only mention of Superman was in the trailers when Fastos the Sun was like, Hey, that's Superman. But I wasn't expecting the Batman reference. And I was just like, yeah, that, so do they exist in their world in their world? And then it's just like, okay, what if the, I, I, I I also pictured, oh, everybody at DC with movies coming out, they went right back to their writer's room. And it's just like, okay, let's throw in a Spider-Man reference just just because, like, they opened the door. So I'm just like, I was, I'm actually shocked that they did. But it's just think, like, but it's I, like, it's like the saying, when you're, when you're Coca-Cola, you don't worry about Pepsi. So and, yeah. <laughs> and the MCU has been killing the comic book game, so they can do whatever they want. I, I, I think it was them showing just how big they are um if you catch my drift um they were just like yeah you know what we can make fun of your characters because in our universe they are exactly that they are just characters in a comic book they are a joke because they are based off our characters i think that's kind of what they were doing like you know you can have your universe you can do all this stuff but you'll never be as good as us because to us you are just a joke i think that was the mcu just swinging it around trying to talk as much massive caca as they could i mean like i mean like why else why else do that other than other than to just like acknowledge the dcu like and you know they're not trying to do that they're not trying to take money out of their own hands they're not trying to send viewers to go look it up they know you know like the only reason to do that is to be like you are a joke to us were better like because like they even had their own character say like oh like they made fun of the, the fat guy um karoom i think is what it was excuse me but um played by harish patel but harish patel but like they even like you know like oh you're the funny guy you're just oh you're like alfred like you're just you're just not important you're funny like i just i don't see another reason to do that other than just be like hey we're bigger we're better and we can even make fun of you and nobody's gonna do a thing yeah it's a pretty bold move i'm not gonna lie I, I, I thought, it like you said, Eric, it was only going to be the Superman reference. But I'm like, okay, Batman exists now, too. So <laughs> we'll see. I don't even know what the D... I guess the next DC movie is the Batman, which seems super serious. So I doubt they're going to, like, 
say anything about Spider-Man in that movie. Yeah, maybe. I, I uh, definitely don't think that'll happen. <laughs> no. Um, especially because Riley Keough, who plays Druig, is in the Batman, so that'd be very weird. And uh, we go down a whole bunch of different rabbit holes that way. Mm-hmm. But any other scenes you guys want to talk about? Oh, man. I, I loved all the fight scenes whenever you got to see multiple powers. Um and just about any scene, I mean, like Gilgamesh's death, for example, I enjoyed having that in a superhero movie because you watch so many, you know, the um, what is it? Iron Man, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Spider-Man No Way Home, all that stuff. How many times do you actually get like a main character dying or just leaving um, other than like Endgame or Infinity War, right? Because Infinity War was the biggest one. And now it's showing that, like, you know, nobody's still safe. We can have a cast of 10 superheroes, and one of them very well probably will die. Um, so I think just the gall, I guess you could say, of the writers to really just kill people off here and there. I, I did enjoy that. And also the fight scenes, I just loved them. I did love Icarus' fight scenes. Like when he lost his anger and he just uses eye beams to destroy that deviant. Yeah. I loved him. Yeah, and touching on um, Gilgamesh's death, that that one actually caught me by surprise too. Um, especially, I kind of figured that things were going; they were going to kill off a couple of characters because, I mean, there's ten of them. There's no way that all of them are going to survive throughout the whole movie. I had a problem with some Hayek's death. One, they did it off yes. screen. Two, it's like. I, like they had such a star-studded cast that I was just like, okay, wow! Like Selma Hayek is in a in an MCU movie, but she's proud and she's the leader. So it's like, oh, I would have liked to see her through. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how many. I, I I don't. I think this is probably the one shot that she had, like whether mm-hmm. contract-wise. But I, I I was a little upset with that one. I would have loved to see her in in a sequel and pop up in more movies here and there. Um, that's probably the one that I wish that they didn't do. And probably sub that out for I don't know someone else, but I would have loved to see Salma Hayek more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I do have some good news for you, Eric. Salma Hayek did sign a deal for multiple Marvel movies. Um, I'm going to look it up and try to find out which one it is. I think it was like multi films, so like at least three. I think is what it was. But because um, that was something that bothered me too. Like I was in that movie, and I, I really I enjoy Salma Hayek. I enjoy her acting, and I enjoyed her character. But from what I understand, she's going to come back. And I think with the Eternals, it's one of those, um, you know, it's not Iron Man dying. Like, you can bring these people back pretty easily. It's explained that there are millions of them throughout time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've brought them back multiple times. So I think it'll be easier to bring her back. It may not be the same Selma Hyatt. It may not be the same Ajax. But I do believe we'll get her back, especially since she did sign a multi-film contract. Well, I know, you, and then you factor in that we're entering a multiverse, which mm-hmm. Sony pretty much straight up spoiled for uh, Spider-Man No Way Home this week. But um, it's going to be easy to bring back dead characters for sure. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed her. Um, and I think that's a perfect segue to get into our favorite characters of this movie. So I'll start with you guys. Uh, who was number one for you? I think Kamel Nanjiani stole the show and I am actually only going to put him in number two because I think that he was done dirty by having to leave early. I would have wanted to see him in the final battle. Um, but number one for me is definitely going to be Makari with Lauren Rid- Ridloff. 
I, I think that was just fantastic. I want more of her, just like I want more of um Kamel as Kingo. Um, both of those characters, I think, needed to need to have their own separate movies. In fact, just because I think they were freaking great. I'm gonna go with Druid, man, because he kept it the realest. Like he, like he would have been us. Just like, wait a second, hold on. So you mean to tell me, like, all of this was for nothing? You mean to tell me I could have stepped in and avoided all of this? Like, I felt Druig was the realest one. He did what he wanted to do. Um, the way his reveal was was so badass when he came out of the shed. I, I think that was a shed or a house. Um, and every time he was on the scene, you just knew, like, dang, all right, it just got turned up, like, times 10. Like, um I, yeah, Druig was probably my favorite. Yeah, so I guess we're all going to have three different number ones, which is a, which is a first um, in a long time. But I'm going to put Kingo at number one. Uh, he Kumal Nanjiani was just so hilarious in this role. Uh, he was like the Tony Stark of the group, and uh, just you know, based on me uh, watching him in Silicon Valley for all those years, you know, really uh, stuck with me. I didn't like that he left uh, for the main battle, so I'm hoping he gets redeemed somewhere down the line. But yeah, he he's too strong to be uh, anything but number one for me. And then, like my like I said, my number two is Camille. My number three and my honorable mention are so close, I really can't decide. But I'm going to go with number three at Brian Tyree Henry with Fastos. Um, I loved him. I love his action. I love his character. I want more of him. Um, just like I want more of Camille and. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, Lauren Ridloff. Um, and then like honorable mention, I'm just going to try to get this done as fast as possible with um, Gemma Chan and Cersei. I loved her story. I liked, you know, the way it was going, how she had to deal with all this extra power. Cause she was given um, through it. Cause her powers weren't anything. I think people took too seriously, kind of like sprites. I think her and Sprite are kind of that level where they just, everybody just kind of like, yeah, she's here and she helps, you know? Um, but I think that she, played it very well and I enjoyed her character. Um, but Brian Terry Henry for sure. Like chef's kiss. Great. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go my second one. I, I loved Makari again. We touched on, she's probably the best live action speedster that we saw that we've seen. One of my favorite, um, scenes also, I should have mentioned this earlier was when she thought Druig had died and she let out that scream and it was, you can just tell the emotion Especially, um, that's another thing that I loved about this movie was just the inclusion that they had, um, whether it's the first gay character that we saw on screen or um, Makari's disability. Like, they, they I don't want to say they played into it, but they showed that these are different people because we live in a world where there are so many different people that come from so many different facts of life. And, it, and they showed that in this ensemble. Um, I liked her as my number two. I think I'm going to go with Thino as my number three, because again, Angelina Jolie, she did well showing, um, dealing with, uh, I forgot what they called it, but it was almost similar to like dementia or um, maybe like a type of tumor that she had that um, Gilgamesh helped her, helped her um, control. Uh, I loved all the scenes that she was in because she, 
they call her the war, the goddess of war, and she definitely showed that she knows how to fight. I mean, all those Mr. and Mrs. Smiths uh, she, um, acting really helped her out on this one. So, yeah, my my top three are is um, Druig, Makari, and Thena. I, I as close because I definitely love Fastos as well, but um, mm. yeah, I, I there was a lot of them that I liked in in this one. Kingo I liked as well, so I mean it's tough to narrow it down to five, but that's what those those are my list right there. Yeah, yeah. For for me, I think I'm gonna fill out my um, top five. I'm gonna do Fastos at number two, uh, Gilgamesh at number three, uh, Thena at number four. And number five, uh, I'm going to put uh, Druig for all the reasons that we said. But uh, it's a strong cast. And like you said, Eric, it's hard to, to put a top five together here. Oh, it absolutely does. And uh, I know I've been talking way too much in this podcast, but it's been a while. So forgive me. <laughs> but I wanted to hit on two things Eric hit on because I, I, I love everything you said, Eric. Um, but I just I've had these thoughts bottled up and I want to get them out. Um, first off. Makari and Druig's their first interaction in what, like 3000 years. Um, and they were already hitting on each other. I want more of that relationship. I want to see what it was like before they were separated for 3000 years. Cause you know, everybody knew about Cersei and Icarus, right? Like they got married, they loved each other, but it almost seems like um, Makari and Druig had this secret love. And even after all these years where they've been apart, they've been living completely separate lives they were just smiling, laughing, making each other happy again. And then also with your inclusion piece, which I love, by the way, I I want to go deeper in it because I even think that like the MCU did this perfectly because, you know, in today's society, any kind of, I don't want to call it a, 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 a wrong thing or something, you know, whether it be blindness, you're not, you're not a certain color, you're not a certain age, you're not a certain sex, whatever. All that stuff is looked at negatively, but these celestials made these eternals to be the perfect fighting machine, the perfect team to fight and defend earth or whatever planet they were on to make sure the population was able to boom for another celestial be born. Right. And all these people ended up loving different people. They ended up having different skin color. They ended up looking different, talking different, not being able to speak quote unquote disabilities. um, Because, even though they have these different ways, they're still a perfect team. They're able to put it together. And I think that was a message GMCU was trying to send to us that even though you may be different, you can still be that hero, you know, and look at this team made of completely different people. Like everybody on, like nobody on this team is the same personality, right? Like nobody would have made the same choices, but like these people, disabilities or not personalities, color, whatever, they were able to come together and save the world, right? And I think that was another thing the MC was trying to tell us is like, you know, our differences do not matter. And we need to embrace them. Yeah. Like this is the most diverse movie Marvel has ever done. And it is very nice to see that on screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this cast is strong. Um, you know, when I get into honorable mentions, because you got to put a lot of these characters in the honorable mentions because there are so many of them. Um, I think, you know, Gemma Chan as, as Cersei was great as well. Uh, she was the lead of the movie, but, you know, I think she does kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. I'm going to have to put... See, I like Gemma Chan. I liked her as 
um, was her? She was Minerva, right? In Captain Marvel. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I like Gemma Chan, but in this one, I think she was kind of pointless. Like for like the first eighty percent of the movie, I, it was just like, yeah, she has she has like her powers weren't as out there as say a Icarus or a Fastos or even a Kingo, but like. She just walked around in sorrow most of the, I'm sorry, the uh, Yorkie's like scratching the carpet if you can. <laughs> but like but um yeah, she was just wandering around aimlessly, wondering if Icarus still loves her, running around with Dane. Just was like I, I don't and she really didn't do anything until the end. And then it was just like, Okay, it's over. So okay, now we know she's the alleged leader, but like what I I don't know. I, I didn't like the way she was. She didn't really do anything for me. Yeah, okay. And then when it comes to like another character that I did not like, again, uh, I guess it touches on is a gift and a curse that there wasn't really a true baddie. But I mean, if you were going to say there was a bad guy, I, I think Marvel again fell into the villain problem with Crow. He was run. He killed Gil- Gilgamesh, killed Ajax, but then was killed by and then that's just it like mm-hmm. I, I i i again like they they didn't flesh that out properly to see who was actually the bad guy no icarus had his heel turn which again an- another character icarus was cool in the beginning but then he just flew into the sun like did he commit suicide or like what did he do like i, I don't understand like is, is he done now like well, I, is I, is it? And, and forgive me for not being great on theology and everything like that. But isn't there a story out there of, um, you know, like Icarus was the son who, or the son or the boy who flew too close to the sun? Yeah, I think they yeah. mentioned that. I think Dane Whitman actually mentions that at one point because Spirit was talking about a sprite was talking about it with him, like off screen or something like that. I can't. Remember, but like. And then, like, Cersei's, I actually think she had a very good character arc because I think they did this thing where they drop us in the middle of a, of a story, right? I mean, she's been 2,000 years about her husband that she had for 5,000 years. And she's still trying to find herself. She's just like a normal human trying to find herself, trying to live her life, find out what she is. And even though she has these wonderful powers, she's afraid to use them almost because she really only uses them in dire situations. Whereas you see her sisters and brothers We'll use them for here or there. I mean, <clears throat> Gilgamesh uses it to pick up a pie out of an oven, right? Because he's strong. He's he's not going to die. He doesn't feel the pain. Um, you know, Icarus will just use his powers whenever the hell he fin- feels like it. Thena, you know, she's a freaking time bomb. You never know when the hell that's going to happen. <laughs> but, like, I, I think Cersei's character arc was that of, like, supposed to be the viewer if they were in that situation. Um, in the sense of like, she has no idea what she's doing and now she's being thrown all these different things. She has to take over lead of the group of nine people of people she's known for 7,000 years. She still doesn't know herself. She doesn't know why her husband left her. just dipped out and never fuck, never said anything. And now she has to save the world. So I do, I, I kind of disagree a little bit. I think, yeah, it looks like she didn't do a lot, but I think her character arc, if you look at it as a whole, I think it kind of speaks for itself. And I do love Jim and Chan in this movie. Yeah, like I like her and I like that because she was kind of like our eyes into the story. Icarus, just like any other Superman character, never does anything for me. <laughs> um, it just never does. I can't, I cannot <laughs> relate to someone who's just 
all powerful and unstoppable mm-hmm. and shoots lasers through his eyes and flies around. That's just not my cup of tea. I, I, I don't blame did you. not care for him. I don't blame you because when you watch Superman, like you're watching the same thing a thousand times. And I think that's what you would get if you'd had Icarus, Icarus movies, right? I mean, like you would just get the same thing a thousand times because he probably has one weakness and 15 different people in 15 different movies will try to use that weakness to make some kind of weapon and threaten the world. I mean, it's, it's the same movie 15 times. Yeah. Uh, he also looked like Bucky Barnes, as my wife pointed out, and it was very yes. distracting. Um, yes. <laughs> but... Yes. Um, any other characters you, you guys want to talk about before we get to a final rating? Ajax, man, I, I, I'm going to put her in the the characters I didn't like just because I wanted more of her. Like, I wanted to see Selma Hayek thrive in this movie. Like, yes. they, the marketing, the push made it seem like Selma Hayek was going to be a big player in this movie, but... They pulled the Iron Man 3 okey-doke on us and killed her off um, <laughs> off screen. So so that's the one thing that uh, is just frustrating. Like, I mean, it's great. It's good to know that, okay, she has a multi-picture deal. But, like, you're starting off, like, I don't know, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. So it's just mm-hmm. like, yeah, she comes back. But it's like, uh, we're always going to remember her dying in the Eternals. So, I mean. Yeah. I don't know. I they, they just pushed her like she was she was big like big shit like we were expecting big <laughs> things, but then they just kill her off, and I was just like, ah. Well, but, t- technically, we did get her death on screen, but I guess I guess when we fought, when when we yeah later when we, we realized Icarus is master scheme, but yeah, but I don't man, I I wish they didn't kill her off. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I, I, Salma Hayek was one of the reasons I came for this movie. I love her, and I wish she didn't die. But like I said, when I saw that she has a multi-film deal, I have faith that they'll bring her back. Um, I'm wondering what the next time we'll see the Eternals is. Um, maybe a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but um, I, I'm hoping they bring her back pretty soon. Announce the sequel, Marvel. We want the sequel. This movie made $71 million. So I mean, you know um, it's coming. They said it in, yeah. the, in the end, so... Yeah. I mean, we're definitely going to get something in the question is when, when will we get it and when will we see the Eternals? Cause are the Eternals going to be a team where every time they're in a movie, they all have to be together. Are we going to get one or one here or there two here or there sprinkle them throughout? Is the story going to continue across? Cause I think the only story this can continue across in would be guardians of the galaxy. I mean, it's not going to be in Spider-Man or blade or, you know, any that's movie that's based talk in- about too. Yeah, it's just not going to be. It's not going to be based in an Earth superhero, Black Panther two. I think it's going to have to be a Guardians of the Galaxy or a Thor. Well, let's talk about Blade for a second because um, there is a surprise cameo in this movie, and it's at it's the second post credit scene. Dane Whitman, if you guys don't know, is a character called the Black Knight in the comics. Uh, he is looking at this blade that has, you know, been in his family for centuries. And it's like, I, I don't really know the lore on the Black Knight. It's like some magical blade or whatever. And then off screen, you hear a voice that says, are you sure you want to do this, Mr. Whitman? Or something like that. Um, when I first heard that, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was the Watcher. I After- thought it was the Watcher as well. I was like, holy shit. This is where they talk about, oh, this is where they talk about 
a what if is canon. I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. I'm sorry. It, oh, no. <laughs> it blew my mind. I was right there with you, Eric. I left that theater, drove all the way home thinking it was The Watcher, and I text Gerald, and I was like, that was The Watcher. <laughs> and he texts me. He's like, that's Blade. And I was like, what are you talking about, Gerald? So I looked it up, and the director confirmed that is Mahershala Ali in his first MCU appearance off screen as Blade, the vampire hunter. It just blows my mind. So you're bringing Blade in around the same time you're bringing in Morbius to the Sony MCU. Meanwhile, Sony is confusing all of us with about 15 different iterations of Spider-Man characters in one two-minute trailer. So I'm wondering when and how long we have until we do get the Sony MCU, because I'm, I'm pretty sure after the Venom post credit scene, right, that we've already get the Sony MC, Sony Marvel Universe crossing over. So is Blade going to fight Morbius? And that'll be exciting because Morbius actually looked a lot better in that trailer on the big screen. But um, I think I mean, what, I, what do y'all what do y'all think of Kit Harrington as Dan Whitman? Whitman after after oh, movies? Man, shout out to honestly, I didn't like Icarus, but. Uh, which was Richard Madden and uh, Kit Harrington, who played Dane Whitman. But uh, my brothers told me, and I, I mean, obviously, I, I've looked, I saw that they're they're big players in like Game of Thrones, and I'm just like, I really like the way these two guys play their characters. So I'm, kind, I think I'm interested in watching Game of Thrones now wait, to see what wait, the hype are is. You telling you, you never saw Game of Thrones? No, I've never watched I, Game I of Thrones. I haven't seen it either. I haven't so seen I'm it. just what? like, you know, how did y'all just miss it? the biggest pop culture? I tried for seven I, I, years. I don't know. It's just, it's just. I don't know. I just, I, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really get jiggy with those with those type of shows. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> but, but oh, you know, no. but you know, I might have to, I might have to give it a shot. But oh, man. yeah, nah, it's, I definitely, I like Dane, um, Dane Whitman. I mean, Kit Harrington obviously played a great. Like we knew that he wasn't going to be Black Knight in this movie. They said it. Um, and I mean, I don't know too much about. I didn't know too much about Black Knight so before I went into the theater, so I really didn't care. Um, after I after the post credit scene, I went and looked at it, and I was like, okay, Black Knight is a major player, and I guess him and Blade have there have been times where both of them have teamed up in each other's comics, and um, and Jeff uh, that Ebony Blade, I guess, gives whoever um, gives them obviously powers. But the thing is that they lose, they start to lose some of the, they start to lose themselves. So like they become crazy and like, and what, like it's a cost. So that's why they said death is my reward in that on, uh, on the saying. So like he obviously, like you lose a part of yourself when you have that blade, but obviously you get, it's a, you, it's a give and take. So it, I was like, I, the same thing. I, I thought it was the watcher in the beginning. I was like, whoa. This is where it happens. But yeah, after looking and they said that it was Mahershala Ali, I was like, okay, even better. Like, obviously, they didn't have him on screen because they don't have his look yet. But it's dope to know that, all right, they're thinking of it because I was wondering, like, I know they said Blade is coming, but it's just like, was it just to throw it out there so people can get off their back? But now nah, it's showing, like, okay, they're, they're really into this. Yeah, no, I liked it. Um, I, I saw people on t- Instagram, Twitter, and everything complaining about how, you know, Kid Harrington was done wrong. He barely had a part in this movie. But I, I think that's 
I think this is because one of the first times we've really seen Marvel hint at a big character. Like you mentioned, Black Knight becomes a big player. He becomes a crucial part of the Avengers, really, in the comics. And um, from what I've read, at least. In the past, that would have been a no-name character. A Tom Holland at that point, you know? like Or just a throwaway line. But in the past few years, I'd say five years or so, you see guys like Donald Glover um, in the in Spider-Man um, Homecoming. And you see guys like now him and even Harry Styles, which we'll get to in a little bit. But like um, you see these guys and not everybody expects them to be a big character or they know it. You know, but you know, if this was 10 years ago when Iron Man 1 and 2 were coming out or the first Thor, first Captain America, that would have been a no-name actor or a, an actor who hadn't hit like huge blockbuster movies at this point with just a hint. And then we would have been like, you know, five years from now, like, oh my God, can you believe so-and-so is so big now? Um, so I think that it's kind of like a double-edged sword of sorts when it comes to the MCU now, because we see them casting these big characters and you know that they're not just in this movie to be in it. Like they're in it because they're going to, they got a multi-movie deal and they're going to be a big hero in the future. So I think people were a little disappointed, but to me, I think they did it really well. Yeah. And Kit Harrington has said that he signed up for this movie because he wanted to be a part um, of the bigger MCU world. So I think he's, I would probably bet that he's going to be in blade with Mahershala Ali. I think that's a safe bet. He might honestly be the main villain of that movie. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised there or one of the villains. But as Peyton has pointed out, uh, we need to talk about the first post credit scene, uh, which is uh, the introduction of um, a pretty important cosmic character in the comics. Uh, Star Fox played none other by <laughs> Harry Styles from One Direction. Again, take that with you, Will, who is Thanos's brother, Star Fox. I'm I'm surprised by this, but like it kind of makes sense. His main power is to entice people's pleasure center within 25 feet of him, and um, not not to get inappropriate, but like how many women do you know between the ages of like and like I know many of us don't know anybody 18 or younger, but I'm just throwing that 18 to like 35 age range who are just in love with Harry Styles regardless of what he does. Um, like it's almost the perfect casting even though I don't know how he'll do, I've never really actually watched Harry Styles act, but like, if you're talking like actor slash person, like celebrity to like what the characters and end up doing, it almost makes in perfect sense. Yeah. Again. Yeah. I'm with you. I haven't really seen Harry Styles, um, act, but, um, uh, yeah, this gotta be the perfect casting. Uh, I'm interested to see, um, where, they take his character. He's another one that after I, after the movie I saw, he actually signed on to do five movies. So he's definitely going to be a major player in the MCU. So, um, yes, that, that was, that was an interesting subplot. It's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm not sure how to feel about it. Cause like I said, I don't know enough about Harry Styles, but the MCU was already freaking huge. And now you're adding every teen girl out there who is in love with Harry Styles and Giannis and Giannis because Giannis, Giannis onto <laughs> yes, because he, well, no, he posted on like Twitter, I think three days ago, apparently he went to a Harry Styles concert and he was the only grown man there in a sea of women. Look it up. I saw it from ESPN today. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I found out about Harry Styles in this movie like weeks before it came out because yes. uh, people at work were talking about it. They're like, oh my God, Harry Styles is going to be in Eternals. I was like, well, now I know. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I would say maybe the equivalent for us, because we're 90s kids, this would be like Justin Timberlake getting <laughs> cast in like <laughs> Spider-Man 3 or something. Yeah. I think that would be the equivalent. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> But uh, we'll see. I mean, I'm open for his interpretation of the character. I mean, I don't know anything about him, but I'm open to it. So, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm open to it, too. Just because, like, the MCU has hardly done us wrong with casting. Um, I mean, they recast Hulk, technically. But, like, that movie was kind of bad. So I would have been okay with that anyway. But, like, what what other castings have has the MCU screwed up on yet? So They're at this perfect. point, I'm just kind of like... Like, I kind of trust you at this point, you know? Yeah, so two major characters, three major characters really introduced in this movie moving forward. Uh, let's get into our final scores, guys. So for me, I, I'm going to give this movie an all-star. I'm not going to say it surprised me. I always say that. But it didn't because I figured this movie would be great because the trailers were great. The director... Uh, got high praise in the Oscars last year. I was expecting big things from it, and I think it delivered. I think it uh, introduced us to a really, really interesting world moving forward in the MCU, and I cannot wait for a sequel. So much better than Dune. Oh, my God. You gave it all-star. I think I'm going to go with a starter because there's one, if there's one thing, I guess when it comes to the overarching theme of the MCU, I know in the promotional, they said that this will change the MCU forever or change the way the MCU is now. But I guess my thing is, is where is the MCU going? Like after I left, like the movie was great, but at one question I just kept asking myself is what are they trying to do? Because, okay, they introduced the Eternals. We were where they're going to introduce the scrolls. We're already dealing with the after effects of the blip. There's still Kang. There's now the multiverse. There's now variants. It's just where, what, I guess the first 15 years and the first 20 movies that we had, we knew it was building towards Thanos. I guess now it's like, where are we going? I Just to make it easier to like understand. And the Eternals just added another drop of they just added another thing that we have to to think about. And I guess at what point does it be, is it going to be too much? So, but I, I'll give this movie a starter. Um, maybe it's also a movie that maybe at second watch, I'd probably make it an all-star, but I also feel like this could also be a movie where we go back two or three years and it was like, okay, the Eternals was the one that, that springboarded us into the next phases of Marvel. No, absolutely. I, I, I agree with you because to me, like this movie was good. It had its issues. Um, the main issue for me is the one I think a lot of people might complain about. And I don't want to sound campy, but like if you're telling me there was a celestial, a God poking out of the earth and not a single person who was on that battlefield and in game said, Hey, let's check that shit out. Like I tell you, you're lying. There were so many people on that battlefield, and you're talking about Earth ending. Like, this wasn't, you know, 
Spider-Man Homecoming where he's trying to stop someone from stealing some alien remnants or anything, you know? Or Iron Man trying to stop a guy from having a whole fleet of Iron Men. Like, this was the end of the world. And not a, not even Doc, like Doctor Strange's ass, who is definitely the protector of the realm, should have been there. So I do have issue with that um, because there is no explanation for it to me. Um, but, like, I do believe this is going to be a movie we look at in the past. I said this, the, the, like Eric said, this springboarded the next phase of the MCU. It's introducing massive characters. It's introducing villains that like might have villains ahead of them over them. Like imagine like, and I'm not saying they are, but like the Celestials are Loki and then whoever's above them, whether it be Galactus is Thanos. Right. So like, I think these characters that we met, the deviants, I do think there was a hint at a deviant giving us more of a history about how he is um, Thanos' father. I think Crow was hinting at that when he had um, Thena in the cave. He says, do you not remember me? It's me. I'm back. It's us again. We can be together or something like that. And like, I know he was using um, Gilgamesh's voice, but I do believe that was a deeper meaning there um, because he used Gilgamesh's ability to speak but um i could go on all day but i do believe this movie springboarded but i think there were big issues with it but again it is beautiful i didn't have a problem with any of the characters i do think the villains could have been more fleshed out so it's a starter for now with full potential to go all-star later in my opinion yeah it's a great movie and you know listening to this for 56 minutes of us you know gushing about it you, you got to make your own, you know, decisions based on it. Don't listen to Rotten Tomatoes. Even the audience score can be misleading sometimes. This, it, it, I, like Gerald said, it's going to be an important movie, probably moving forward in the MCU. Um, I like where we stand uh, in the world right now. It's going to get blown open next month when Spider-Man No Way Home comes yeah, out. For sure. So, I mean, we got a lot a lot to look forward to in the MCU. We have Hawkeye in two weeks. Um, anything else before we go guys? I'm trying to see the results of my poll. I put up a poll earlier and I can't tell you. So uh, I think people should go vote on it. The question was, do you guys agree with internals critics? People said that, you know, like we talked in the beginning, Rotten Tomatoes, a lot of critics were negative on this movie. However, I think we can all agree this was a very good movie. So I want to find out, you know, kind of what our, what our listeners believe and if they agree with the critics or not. Yeah, vote on our polls, all of them. We're going to have a, a Christmas uh, movie character battle here in about three weeks where I'm going to pit like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer against John McClane. So, oh, John uh, McClane's going all the way. Yeah, so I mean... Stay tuned for that. We got some cool polls up on Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Um, but until next time, guys, uh, we are Box Office QBs, good friends, real talk. We're going to be back with an episode that I don't know yet, but we will be back. Uh, you guys have a good week, and uh, we'll see you soon.